Mo Facts with Adam Curry, September 9th, 2019, episode number six. And it's been way too long, Mr. Mo. Two weeks, man. It's been it's been killing me. <laughs> that was uh, it's. Uh, I got kind of like withdrawal symptoms. I know. I was uh, ready to do a show, but I couldn't. So I, I hope we do twice as well on this show to make up for it for the people. Well, I was just looking at the uh, at the elements of the show you sent over. You got uh, quite a number of clips here, so I cannot. And I already have some ideas as to what we'll be talking about today. I'm very perceptive that way. Especially yeah. with the, <laughs> I guess the tiling of the clips gave it away. But, yeah, a little bit, a um, little bit, a little bit. Yeah, um, uh, first of all, I want to say happy 55th birthday to you. Delighted, oh, thank you. you, sir. Yeah, thank you, sir. Double nickels. And, and just to let you know, I celebrated my 12th wedding anniversary yesterday. So oh, God bless you. Fantastic. Both, uh, thank you, thank you. Uh, so I guess we're both having a little hangover from uh, the celebrations. Yeah, I have a hangover from your celebration. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mo, All right. I, I can't wait to hear what we're going to do today. All right. So just to catch you up, I don't know if your great Twitter line uh, caught you up with uh, Jay-Z and the latest on his um, happenings. Uh, just to fill the people in, uh, and I, I know you're aware that he signed a deal with the NFL. Yep. Um, and that wasn't well received by all in the black community, particularly because um, he uh, apparently uh, the impression was he left uh, Kaepernick out of the deal. That was one thread that people were unhappy yeah, with. Yes. So they say he sold out Colin Kaepernick. That's how it's perceived. Uh, and it's about a fifty-fifty split. Uh, half the people saying it's good that he um got a seat at the table when the NFL, and but the other half were like, uh, Jay Z, you appropriated his uh his movement, uh, because even Jay Z had taken a knee in one of his videos and hmm, right. uh, ran a, a Kaepernick jersey, and then you go on to sign a deal with and, the NFL. So right, 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 right. What this has done is made Jay Z a target of the black woke community Ooh. and so he is up for possible cancellation well <laughs> so uh how is the black woke community woker than the white woke community well they are uh i think they're allies ah okay in, in, certain, in certain ways you have um the liberals uh of black lives matter they run in with the intersectionality Right, uh, crowds. So they share they share common uh, um, commonalities, and so like uh, like I stated before, he's up for cancellation, and so they've been doing some digging on his past clips. Oh no! And they found some things on Jay Z and single parents. You think about the idea of. Uh, growing up in a single parent house, which I grew up in, which we grew up in, and having an adverse feeling for authority, right? Your father's gone, so you're like, I hate my dad. Well, nobody tell me what to do. I'm the man in the house. And then you hit the street and you run into a police officer. And it's first thing, put your hands up, freeze, shut up. And you're like, excuse my language, everybody. You're like, fuck you, right? So that, that interaction causes people to lose lives. We don't want people that's uh, in charge of the police uh, areas to be in danger either. We want to be very clear. 
you know, if someone commits a crime, they should go to jail. But these things are just disproportionate, and there's no disrespect. I don't want anyone to feel defensive about what I'm saying. I'm just saying the honest truth. And the people that are here today and the politicians that are here today know it's the truth. That's why they're here, and it's a humane issue, right? So if we... Okay. All right, so this was said on a panel with, uh, I believe, owner Robert Kraft from the NFL, and it was uh, speaking on, this is back in January, actually. Mm -hmm. This is before he signed the NFL deal, and nobody really said anything about this, but once he signed the NFL deal... Ah, then it became very relevant, of course. As you know, with the cancellation crowd, the cancel culture, um, they start to dig up past clips, statements, uh, and then they try to weaponize it against you. Uh, This is what happened. So let me tell you how this is received from the woke crowd. And this is kind of for the no agenda listeners. This is kind of dimension A, dimension B kind of thing. Okay. Uh, So let's say dimension woke. (laughs) Dimension woke heard this as Jay-Z justified police shooting young black men because they had, they raised by single mothers. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I can see how they come up with that. Of course. It's uh, people see this movie uh, with different eyes from different dimensions. Correct. And then you have on the other side, uh, and I'll just let everybody know in my position, I'm a straddler because I I can understand both sides of it. Um, That's what gives me a unique perspective on the other side of it is the more conservative black crowd. And they say, of course, yes, we heard this in our previous, what, two shows ago mm-hmm. with the uh, Prager, uh, Prager, Prager U. U, yep. Yes, that they're all about single parenting leads to uh, violence and, you know, disarray and these kind of things. And, and it's like a one-to-one correlation, which is also incorrect. So this is where I come in. Uh, but what he said is somewhat correct because when you don't have authority in the household, and this is where this whole show is going to go, and we're going to do some background and to how houses became single parent because we touched on the topic, but we never really got in depth on the subject. Uh, but before we get into it, I want to go back to one of the clips I played before talking about the two thought patterns or two schools of thought driven by think tanks, and that's Trick Baby. Uh, it's you liberals who have lifted them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard, you liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Paul, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. No, no, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. Uh, No, thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. Oh, a lovely dinner, Mortimer. 
Always a good time <laughs> chatting about the black man. <laughs> right. So I played this clip so you can hear where Jay-Z is being, where people are saying Jay-Z is at. That he's been let into the club and now he's being neutralized. Mm. And he's being, I've said this before and I don't know if I said it here on this show, but I've said it in my podcast. This is Jay-Z taking this deal with the NFL. Is his Bill Cosby pound cake pull up your pants moment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for people that don't remember that uh, speech given by Bill Cosby, he was like, yeah, they kill each other for uh, no, uh, some pound cake or something like that. He was talking really down to the black community. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's how it was perceived. But it had good messaging in it. But the tone... And from where it was coming, it sounded very elitist. Yeah, and I it kind of, this kind of fell apart <laughs> a couple of years ago, obviously. Right. When he needed his community to back him. And, and this is just this goes to I think this is going to be encompassing of a lot of conversations we had on previous clips to be protected by the black community. You had need to have an overwhelming majority, just like with voting. Mm-hmm. You got to have about 80, 90 percent of the black community behind you. Because that makes enough noise to where you can use it as a tool to protect you either right or wrong. We've seen this with R. Kelly. We saw this with other other people that has transgressions, but they can drum up enough support that it makes them a hard target. But as soon as that support is fractured, then you become open game for anybody that wants to take you down as Jay-Z is being done now by the woke community. Uh, I don't know what they're surprised about um, with this clip that he said, because he said these exact same things in songs as his over the years, multiple times. But now that you're a target of cancel culture, um, this is where we're at. But what I want to talk about more is the conditions of a single parent home in this show, how we got there, how we really got there, like the step by step. And we we talked about the no parent in the house and no man things in the of that house. Yep. I mean, excuse me, no man in the house and things of that nature. But we we never really dug down, and this is a huge problem in the black community. And I think it was even number one on the Prager's list, if I'm not mistaken. It was top three uh, at least. But let's get into um. So this is a conspiracy to destroy black boys. Um, uh, let me see. I have the, and this book that was written, uh, this is something that my, both my parents were educators. Um, and this book floated around the house because it was passed around, uh, I think between black teachers and I'm going to get the man's name. I, I had it in my notes, but, uh, black boys, I'm doing this on the fly. I was actually but, already Googling this. Um, okay. Uh, Jawanza Kunjufu. Kunjufu? That's him. Yeah. That's him. Yes, correct. Correct. And he wrote two books. Uh, it was two volumes to this. And he basically goes, and this was back in 1985 to 19. This, the clips are from 1987. I think the books was written a couple years beforehand. Yeah, it looks and like 1983 when it first came 83. out. Yeah. So this is at the time when I'm a small boy. And I remember these conversations being had, and my parents have used to have these uh, conversations at the dinner table of just like 
uh, how we're being raised. And with, let me say, my older, I'm the youngest, so they have the conversation with my older siblings. And I remember the, uh, the, some of these sentiments that were shared in this book. But let's get into a conspiracy to destroy black boys one point. When the economy changed, the family structure changed. There was more than love in these relationships. There was some money involved here. Our grandparents worked the fields together, had economic reason to stay together, and so they did. In the factory, man works in factory, woman takes care of children. Economic reason again to stay together. But in this new economy, where you now have women working just as much if not more than men, you now hear women telling men, I don't need you, got my own job. Do what I want to do when I want to do it. And we are now doing it very well and by ourselves. Oh man, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yes, it sounds uh, sounds very familiar, and it's even been more telling in current times where we're at. I think maybe a fourth iteration of he was talking about from the fields, agriculture to industrialization to now the computers computerization to now. I think we're like maybe at a automation. I think that maybe be the the fourth. Yeah, uh, what we're at now. And we're seeing it even more because men don't need women and men don't and women don't need men uh, at this time because every service that you need from the opposite sex, there's an app for it now. <laughs> yeah, almost everything. Yes. <laughs> right. I mean, you got door door. I mean, for guys cooking, cleaning. I mean, not to say that's the only thing, but that's what the critical things that you need to run a household. You can get those done by a third party. Uh, and for women, you know, um, you know, take, you know, the, uh, you see these handyman apps and, you know, uh, was Angie's list and yeah, tackle, list. all this right. stuff. Sure. So sure. these things are, um, I, he was saying into the future when he said this, um, but I don't want to belabor the point. Let's get into clip two. Now, now we have a lot of people making plenty of money and lonely yeah. that place money before family. You see black men want to do what white men do. Buy their family a house in the suburbs, two cars, and once a year go down to Orlando for Disney World vacation. <laughs> and when black men can't do that, they don't feel they're worthy enough to stay. All right. And be as, as a black man, this is true. We don't want anything different than the average uh, white man or any other man in America. You know, we want the house. The two cars. Um, yeah, the vacation to Disney, of course. Right. And, and But when you can't provide those things in this capitalistic society, you feel worthless. Uh, and when you feel worthless, it's up to the woman to decide if you have any value or not. So let's listen to clip three. Now, you see, the problem is there are two responses black women can give to black men when they're out of work. Now, the first response some women say is, well, if you ain't working, you got to go. If you ain't working, you got to go. That's the mistake. Because black men don't hire nor fire, nor control the means of production. Now, before black men say, say, that's right, brother, you tell them. Please, brothers, quit assuming that black women took our jobs away. Because black women also do not hire nor fire. We are being played off against each other for some crumbs. Well, that's quite the allegation. Uh, so, how, how did you receive that? Well, it, uh, completely as if uh, black men and women are uh, helpless and do not control their destiny. 
so this is how I received it. And that's why I like having this conversation with you. And because as we've seen, you can have one statement received multiple different ways just by perspective. Of course. I received that as if you have to have a certain number of black people in the office, uh, say, you know, we talked about affirmative action, just say it's at 10, 13%, right? Mm-hmm. Would I want, just speaking from uh, how black people see it, and I mean, we're always conspiratorial because of the things that have been levied against us throughout the past. So we have a conspiratorial uh, vein in us. Mm-hmm. So if that 13% was majority men, it had to be men because women weren't in the workforce in the 50s, 60s, you know what I'm saying, maybe even up to the early 70s, when you start seeing the same amount of black faces, but less men, that's being perceived as the black women are taking your jobs. Ah, okay. Well, I, I can understand that. I, I see how that perception would be there. And who knows? Some of it may be true, certainly back in the day when this was playing out. And there's a uh, there's an underlying reason for that because a black woman is a double minority. What I mean by that is... You kill two birds with one stone because you bring a black woman in. You can check the box of a female. Yeah, you get extra points. And and a black uh, black person. And if she has a hump, I think there's a third. Then you get an extra. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, no, but this is... So now we see it's not that, you know, the elite or, you know, whoever's doing the hiring or whatever are pro-black women. It's just that we can mask ourselves in these double minorities as we've seen with the NFL has been claimed. We can mask ourselves with a Jay-Z and, you know, uh, dodge the fact that we're racist or whatever, whatever ism or ist you want to be labeled as. Right, which is, which is what we kind of, certainly how I view this deal with Jay-Z is like, hmm, okay, just when it, there's a lot of heat on the, uh, uh, political supporters of Republicans, specifically Trump. Uh, we've had mm-hmm. we've had big donors being called out. We saw Equinox and uh, and the the uh, Soul Cycle. Uh, we saw people getting really upset with the owners because they supported Trump. And uh, my feeling has always been NFLs like get let's get out ahead of that and let's bring in Jay Z. Call Jay Z. Right. And it's it's cynical to think that, but it it seems so true, doesn't it? So if you think that way with Jay-Z, why wouldn't people think the same way? And we got to understand the climate. We're talking in the early 1980s. Yes, of course. This is not that far removed from when you had a workspace of mostly men. Oh, right on. Uh, Yes. So we have to look at it in in the proper time context. But let's go into uh, Conspiracies 2.1. We can look at some mothers. And I said some, not all. The rumor is that some mothers raise their daughters and love their sons. My boy always loved his mama. 40 years of age, still went home with you. That needs to stop. Your boy is not yours. He's a future husband, a future father, and needs to be raised that way. Now, I know the historical reason. The historical reason is our societies always try to destroy black men. The lynchings. So black mothers always want to overprotect their sons. But what's the reason today? Is it because your own black man didn't stay? You now replaced your man with your son? Quit telling these nine-year-old boys they're the man of the house. Ain't no nine-year-old boy ready to be no man of the house. You know what's sad, though? These brothers think 
what they can do with their mamas, they can do with their teacher, yes. their coach, and everybody else. Oh, yeah. Now, let me just, I have some experience with this. Um, mm-hmm. After years of therapy, <laughs> uh, it's called uh, emotional blackmail, and it's often not intentional and probably is never intentional. Uh, say similar to me where oh you're the man about the house now now you gotta you gotta take care of stuff and take care of me and um it can uh it can cause damage down the line i i think so i, I think that's very true so how we got from the first set of clips is that first group of clips was to explain how the man was removed from the home right. so now we're at the point where the man's out of the house We've, we've gone over that multiple times before, how how the mechanism was used. And we know this comes from governmental uh, um, decisions to remove the man. And we see how it trickles down. Uh, now the woman has the male child standing in the gap uh, for the man that has left the home. Right. And as you says, as you said, that they start to put responsibilities on that male child that shouldn't be there. And that male child is also given free reign or uh, allow, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He was given a, um, abilities or allowances to do whatever he feels or sees fit. Yeah. Privileges. <clears throat> privileges. That's the word I'm looking mm-hmm. for. And that's the, uh, yeah. So, it goes back to Jay-Z statement when he encounters, if he's treated as a man or the authority figure at home and he's not made to be, um, uh, show any respect to authority figures. When he encounters that police officer, he's, 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 he's going to have, a, he's, he's, he's not, prepared. not prepared. He's going to have the wrong reaction. He's not prepared for that situation. And that is where, where, where we, um, that's where we're at. So let's just listen to um, 3.2. See, when the father's there, see, it's something about a black man or a father right. seeing this male, this, his same size, sitting on his sofa, eating up all the food. Boy, you got to go. <laughs> but see, his daughter can stay there as long as she wants. But see, the mother knows the daughter. And so the mother, you got to go too. <laughs> see, mothers make the daughters go, and fathers make the sons go. But when the father's not there, there's nobody to make the son go. Okay. Yeah, right on. So this is where we're at. And if you notice, majority of the problems in the black community happen with the black male. Why is that? Because they don't have the the leadership, the role models. Uh, we saw that in, the, I think, two shows ago when that the black cop was in the community and he said, you got to give the kids the tough love. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what boys need. Uh, uh, your father keeps you in line. He lets you know life is not fair. Uh, as, as one of my favorite lines of my dad, uh, uh, life is uh, fair is where they judge pigs. I, so, <laughs> you know, I got to tell you, I am uh, happy. You're um, know, you're like 17, 18 years younger than I am. Um, I'm really happy to hear that because I grew up with life's not fair. Now, my mom was the one who told me that because my dad wasn't around much. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I hope it's still being said because uh, it seems like with all the wokeness around us, this may not be something that is repeated the way it used to be. We're going to see that it's not. 
I'm ahead of the game. I'm ahead of the game. You always get ahead. All right, so let's get into 3.1, and we're, that's going to be a great segue. See, my point is, if black women, I'm coming right to you, if black women know what problems they have with their own black man, why are they corrected with your son? See, if you know what the problems are with black men, your little son, that's somebody else's husband. All what you know needs to be done, put that into your son. Right. So if we've been a matriarchal society from maybe, let's see, the late to mid, the mid to late 70s, let's just say it fair. That's when it became, you know, 50 percent or more majority. Uh, why hasn't. Why haven't women created the man, the men that their daughters will love to marry? I don't think it's a fair ask to start off with. Now, I th- I think there's. I, I'm not sure that women can do that. I, I, I don't know if that's the way nature works, even. I think I agree with you. But if you say, uh, I, okay, if you, if you go back to Jay-Z's statement and what he said about single-parent woman, you know, can't raise a man. Uh, we He've said this multiple times before. Uh, this is the pushback that he got. What do you mean? What do you mean a, a, a woman can't raise a man? You know, so there's this fallacy. Well, that- yeah, okay. I, I, I totally understand what you're saying. That, uh, And this is a part of woke culture where we're all that- completely equal, the same. There's no difference. <laughs> exactly. And and that is just emphatically not true. There's this, you know, I helped raise a daughter but you know, if it was only me, I would don't think I would succeed the way it would work with two with a two parent household, or maybe with just the mom. I don't know. But I, it's yeah, the woke the woke crowd will say, of course you can do that, and I think nature might tell us something different. It tells us very loud and clear, but we ignore what it tells us, and we keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again and what do they call that that's called insanity that's right by definition you make a great point i grew up in a house with two other brothers my father and my mother no sisters so now having three daughters i'm lost right and if it was just if it was just me and and we need to start having this conversation and always blame the women blame the men no men and women have roles and responsibilities and they're they're exclusive to either sex. When it comes to my daughters, I am completely lost. <laughs> completely. I'm sure you're not completely lost, but I I, I feel you. Trust me. <laughs> it's like I need an interpreter from my wife to like, what does that mean? <laughs> like my just a little just a little anecdote, you know. But my oldest daughter, which is she'll be 16 in October, can come walking in. And my wife can read from her mood what's going on. I just see her walking across the room. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> yes, okay. No, I hear you on and that. My wife, yeah. will, my wife would say, something's wrong. Yeah, that's, I'm like, what? That's, that's secret female code. It has nothing to do with age. <laughs> I agree. That goes to show you I have a deficiency, but I accept that deficiency, and I have to defer to my wife. The same way with young boys, you can't tell them everything is going to be all right and life is fair and everybody gets trophies. Yeah. You know, we've seen this with tr- the trophy culture. No, life has winners, it has losers, but 
you do have a win if you gave it your all. And losers can win. win. Yeah, of course. Of right. Course. And losing, so there's nuance there. But now we fast forward. Madame Noir, which is a popular website for black women. And in my, my viewpoint, it propagates a lot of liberal slash feminist ideology. Um, and let's listen to them raising black boys. That's, a, that's an important uh, answer. Both of you guys, you talked about legacy and the future. Did you all plan to be mothers? Absolutely not. What? <laughs> I would say no. I was a teacher. Well, I'm a teacher, and I think that was my philosophy. Is I'm a teacher, so I don't have to have kids. I'll take care of other people's kids. Okay. So, like, that was never my mission to be somebody's mother, because that's, like, so much more intense, because there's so much yeah. more responsibility, because yeah, they're right. mine now, so I really can't mess it up. I don't think anyone plans to be a mother, a parent, um, you, you're never prepared for that. Like, nothing can prepare you for that. There's no book. No book. We have a very... Hmm. Okay, I agree with some of what I heard, though. But you heard twice in this clip. Okay, let me... Let me I, I did a poor job setting this clip up. So this is a, is a panel discussion. It's like six women on the panel. Uh, the moderator's a man. And he's asking questions about raising children, black boys specifically. Mm -hmm. And you heard twice in this clip, no one, not some people, this is their mindset that no one plans to have children. Yeah, no, I I disagree with that. No, but it was said twice. Mm -hmm. And out of six people and the moderator, nobody pushed back against it. Actually, they... You know, if you saw the video, they were like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, well, this, this begs the question. Do you feel that there's much less uh, family planning going on? Yes. And, I, 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 and just whatever happens, happens. Is that what it is? I think that is a lot to do with it. Hmm. My problem and the reason why I clipped this was the acceptance of that. This is from this is a clip from 2018. You would think. Where if a problem if you're thinking single parent households plague black women at a 75% rate hit rate, correct? Right. You would think they would be the most sensitive to plan uh planning parenthood, plan, planning parenthood. Yeah, and, and I would but, and I would say because it was a panel, if it if it only been said once and people glossed over it, I'd be like, okay, it's okay, all right. But twice, yeah, someone should have put their hand up. Twice, and then it's six people. Nobody pushed back against it, and to say no one, and they didn't say like a lot of people or you know majority. No one plans. So that was very troubling to me. So let's get into just so happens. So like when I was pregnant with my first son, I'll never forget the the CEO at my school. Her first words to me were, "Oh, but you're not married, and you, what kind of role model is that? You know, for for your students, oh. right?" She tried it, and <laughs> and I, and I had to explain to her like, you know, I'm not married, but that does not negate like the woman that I am exactly. or the man that he is and the family that we're about to create. It just so happens that this happened first. Mm, out of wedlock which I have no issue with. My concern is she said this, and let's be clear. These are six professional women. So the, these women are educated, uh, accomplished. And she says, okay, 
just to, just to break down the clip a little bit, she says the CEO of her school, which I think she means principal. Yeah. But that may be a new term for uh, school. I don't know. Or kind of school but, system. Yeah. Right. What kind of school it was, but comes to her and say, you know, we looked to you to be some kind of role model to the kids. So how is that going to be perceived? And she pushes back like, oh, yeah, she tried that with me. Right. Yeah. Which was weird. Well, I, I, guess, she goes, I guess it's a thing. Otherwise, she wouldn't have said it that way. Right. So, but what gets me is that you say you didn't. From the previous clip, she was one of the women that says, no one plans this. Your peer and your supervisor come to you and say, oh, so aren't you a little worried? I mean, and you say, and you catch your attitude back saying, who are you to say this to me? But right. then you're going to say it just so happens. Right, 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 right. So what I'm saying is we create this uh, environment she's and got it's a, a she privilege got a, thing. She got a chip on her shoulder about it. It's a, it's a privilege thing yep. that certain people are above reproach. I know I made a, and I hate using this word, I made an unplanned event. Let's say that. <laughs> well, well put. <laughs> diplomat you right. are right. I'm, I'm navigating these waters <laughs> but <laughs> we won't tell you kids which one <laughs> right right so you made an unplanned event appear and maybe i guess maybe they're older or more they seem to be more um as i you know maybe I, i'm just assuming here asking you like what's going on did you think this thing through and Let's be clear, women have a bunch of options, pre and post conception. Mm -hmm. If you don't feel like it's you know, the right time or whatever, you have a bunch of measures, but that's not here today. And I don't like going to get into that conversation. But this person says they're above reproach. Like, no, you can't ask me that. You know, we're just going to play it by ear, you know what I'm saying? See what happens. Mm -hmm. And these are how a lot of these single parent households begin. Um, which I just find a little bit troubling. Well, it, but, it, it, it's now I can't say that I have listened to the same types of conversation from white women. It may be very similar. I I, I don't know. I I think it is very similar, and I think this is where you get the uh the pro the big pro choice push from. Because yes. no one's planning it. I don't think this is exclusive to any community. I think this is a cultural we, thing of the day. Right. It's a it's a it's a generational thing. Mm -hmm. Uh and it's been, you know, uh this we're probably in the second or third generation, maybe more uh of this being acceptable. And we have ways of, you know, cleaning up you know, mistakes if you know if that's the word you want to use. And I try to avoid using that word, but this is where we're at. And so the conversation between these women further, and it's not like they don't know of the systematic plans that we discussed on the show previously. Well, well, speaking about children and family units, you know, studies come out that say there are more single black moms in this country than any other race. When it comes down to it, I believe that in a certain sense, 
black people as a whole were aligned for family units to be divided. And I think that was done in a systemic way. I believe that, you know, they created certain systems to enable the women to feel that they did not have a need for the men. And in turn, it caused, you know, a lack of worth for the black man. And he's very needed. You know, he is someone who is valuable. He is someone who needs to be in the home or that your young men need to look up to. But I feel that systemically we were programmed to feel that, you know, we can do this without them, vice versa, things like that. And it's unfortunate because it's not accurate information, in my opinion. Oh, well, thank goodness. Someone with half a brain on the panel. And they were all saying, yeah, yeah. So they're aware. Yeah. That it's, it's, it's not that we don't know. The things I discussed in this show may be new to some people, but in our community, we know mm-hmm. that there has been things set up because they're they're common barbershop beauty shop discussions. Uh so we know. And I, I just wanted to let people I just wanted to show that clip to say these people are not oblivious to the systematic plans of, you know, no man house and, and things and welfare culture and things of that nature. But they still um fall in the same traps that are set up. And I don't understand why. Maybe it's because due to privilege, you don't have to do any self-reflecting. Okay, I'm going to show you an equivalent to black men. We know high blood pressure is one of the deadliest things for black men, right? I, I guess. I'm not aware. I, I'm, I, yeah, it is. I mean, or, or it's Well, calm down be. then, Mo. Calm down. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so salt is seen in the black community as... A deadly. Deadly. You were saying you have a salt. Oh, yeah, that's, oh that salt's going to kill you, man. Nah. You, your, your pressure, man. You know, so you, <laughs> you see this corrective behavior or mindset between men because it's like, hey, man, that salt's going to kill you. But it, it's everything of responsibility. But when you have a whole system set up to make people not have responsibility because it benefits the system that set it up. And that human that's nature. That's the hardest. Yeah. That's the hardest thing to compete. I mean, to uh, and correct. To compete with and correct. Uh, let's go on to the hardest thing. What do you think the hardest thing is to do as a mom in 2017 parenting? What are the things you worried about the most raising black children? Did I have boys? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have two boys. I have two boys. I have two boys. And how do I like prepare them for that for life that, and yes. for, for the, the stress? And, and it's a lot of stress that I don't know as a woman. Yes. Because like, we have stress, but we also yes. can navigate circles yes. a little bit better because yes. we're women. Because we're women. Oh. And like, I don't, how do I prepare, you know, for those moments when he comes home and something has gone awry in the street mm-hmm. and he doesn't know how to deal with it, mm-hmm. right? Or. Wow, it's full of contradictions, this panel. Thank you. I'm I'm glad you realized that. And it's like I was listening to this thing like you know what the problems are, but you continue to fall for them. Yeah. And imagine a young black boy growing up with this kind of uh chaos. I can't say any other word. It's it's mental chaos. And there's a reason for that. And we're, we're going to get to that. It's going to let me disclaimer, disclaimer. I need a disclaimer. Mm. Um, this is not a beat up on a certain segment of society uh, show. 
Well, I'm laying this all out, and as you know, I always come back around at the end, and we get the full picture. But let, right just on. hang in there with me. Right. I'm just saying that <laughs> right for people that may be ready to click the the stop button or the skip button, yeah. just hang in there with me. That's We're right. gonna see misogynist Mo on the microphone. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hey, I got three daughters. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Oh no, that doesn't count, my friend. <laughs> my, my best friends are female. I got friends that are female. <laughs> okay, some of my best friends are female. <laughs> That's it. Some of my best friends are female. Uh, all right. So, raising black boys fear. Okay. And it's hard to let them be free when we're fearful. Right. Yeah. Because you know, because my best friend all the time she said, "Let that boy be free." You know, he want to take off his shoes. Let him take off I his shoes. It's, it's it's hard like for I them know. to be free like I when know. we're a little fearful. And yeah. I think that's the that's the tension of like I want him to grow. I want him to explore and try stuff out. But like I'm I'm a little scared. Wow. Okay. So imagine you have a rumbunctious boy that wants to be a boy. And you have nothing but this fearful, fear. yeah, fear hmm. energy, which, I, and I may, this is perception. This is just perception. But I think women may be more fearful out of a uh, survival mechanism. You know, just through throughout you know uh, time. You know, uh, they have to be more uh, concerned in that thing, and you have the. And that's what I was saying before about my wife. Her antennas are always up. Right. Uh, and what I do is come in and I calm, like, oh, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna be, it's gonna be all right, you know, or, you know, you kind of put yourself between, um, between them and the threat. And I think that's what men. I'm do. not too yeah. on horn here, but I think that's the function of us. And maybe that's why we die earlier. I don't know, but we're always putting ourselves between the the threat. And, and and the fear. Uh, if your wife hears a knock at night, you're the one that gets up and goes and inspects the knock. The knock. Right. Uh, her antennas are up, but you respond. And that's just um, of something that I just just think that's how that works. But we hear this thing called fear comes up. And later on in the clip, it was too long in the clip, but the talk yeah. comes up. Now, Adam... I know maybe you may be aware of the talk. Can you tell me what that is? Yes. Uh, the talk, as far as I'm aware, is when, and I think it's typically the parents, but it may just be the father or the mother, but whoever the authority figure is, sits the young man down. And I don't know if it's just men. I think certainly it would have to be. <clears throat> and says, all right, here's how you're going to be perceived in the world Here's what it's like to be black when you encounter um, the top one, of course, is when you encounter the police. Here's how you act. Uh, hands on top of the steering wheel. Yes, sir. Yes, officer. You be polite because uh, that will keep you alive. I'm summarizing, but I'm pretty sure that's about right. And you can see how this aligns back to the uh, the cause of this conversation, the Jay-Z statement of where if. That talk is not had. So what, here's the two options you have. As you're saying, a, as a for majority of black men raised in a female-dominated household, either you're going to be extremely feel, fearful or you have no respect for authority. And I know there's a lot of gray in between that black and white, but that is what you're really left with. Either you don't respect authority, you know what I'm saying, you're going to combat it, mm -hmm. or you're going to be so fearful that you live a life of 
anxiety, uh, uh, inferiority, mental anguish, and things of that nature. And this is a very, that's why you need that calming energy. My, my dad had, okay, let's get into, uh, uh, I'm fast forwarding. But so we've seen companies like Procter and Gamble. <laughs> yeah, I, I've seen this one. I, I make study of these types of uh, commercials. So I, I, I know what's coming next. I don't know how this sells soap or Clorox, <laughs> but Procter & Gamble to talk. Who said that? The lady at the store. That is not a compliment. Listen, it's an ugly, nasty word, and you are going to hear it. Nothing I can do about that. But you are not going to let that word hurt you. You hear me? There are some people who think you don't deserve the same privileges just because of what you look like. It's not fair. It's not. Remember, you can do anything they can. The difference is you got to work twice as hard and be twice as smart. Come straight home after practice. You got your ID? Yeah. Guess I stop you. How's your review? We're good. You good? Yeah. You see? We're good. Okay. Good. Now, when you get pulled over. Um, I'm a good driver. Okay. Baby, don't worry. This is not about you getting a ticket. This is about you not coming home. I'm going to be okay. Right? One of the many things I love about doing this show with you, Mo, is even though I've seen this commercial, I've studied what Procter & Gamble is doing, uh, you have uh, ripped yet another layer of some kind of uh, crap across my eyes. I'm like, oh, man, I didn't even realize it was a mom, I think, talking to her daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it could not be any further from perhaps the actual talk as as I've heard of it a father and a son or parents and a son. And what was missing from that commercial? Dad. Not a single one in the whole two minute commercial. Wow. Stunning. Stunning. Yeah. Let that sink in. And that. (laughs) So you think out of eight moms, maybe in the commercial, just by percentages, you should at least have two dads. Wow. At least one, not a single dad. And, the, and you know, not the, a single one. And you know what? But I, you know, coming from the advertising industry, I think the reason why you're seeing that in this commercial is, first of all, just like Gillette, I think these companies are full of shit. They want to sell soap, or they want to sell razor blades, or whatever. Who does the shopping? It's the moms. So they're targeting moms. Uh, they're not targeting any goodness. They're targeting moms. And that's what it is. It's trauma based advertising. Ooh. It's what it is. Nah, does that is that already been nah, that's a good one. Trauma based <laughs> TBA, baby. Yeah, it's that's exactly what it we have trauma based uh entertainment as he's twelve years a slave, these yeah. shows, all these movies coming out, but now it's starting to cross over into the entertainment I mean, to the advertisement. True realm. exploitation. So as you've seen, the father is missing. So we're going to go back to one last clip from the Madden War panel. Engage. I want to say that 
black men, they need to engage, engage with your children. Not only like take them to the movies, no, engage, like play, um, enjoy your children, no matter what the circumstances are, enjoy your children because that's what they remember, okay? Mm -hmm. They remember you playing basketball with them. They remember you riding bikes with them. Mm -hmm. They remember that and it sticks with them. Engage, enjoy your children. Yes, I agree. So, so now you have a mother telling a father how to be a father. You're not doing it right, numbnut. Right. But the problem with that is, and it's very seldom talked about, fathers are second-class citizens or second-class parents in this country. It, now, yeah, And I just want to, want to pause there. In our country, indeed, this is because... And I, I'm a student of advertising... Every single, especially if it's a white guy, that's even better. Every single ad where there's a dad, he's always a doofus. He's a numbnut. He got the wrong shopping list. He didn't do it right. He brought the wrong cars, got the wrong clothes on. That is a cultural thing across the board that's been going on for years now. It is. If you look at Modern Family. <laughs> Another fantastic example. But, but that is that is propaganda. People don't understand these television shows, just like I once brought up before about um uh married with children, that shaped uh the uh, the culture for that time. Indeed. Uh dad was useless shoe salesman. Now you forward fast forward. Now dad, like you said, dad's just a dad's basically a, a, a idiot ATM, you know, he just <laughs> yes. kicks out the money. And if you know, but you know why he has to be that way, and that's a gr- I'm glad you brought that. We see, I love we do this. It's because fathers don't have any rights in this country, and a woman can have you removed from the household for any reason whatsoever at any time, separate you from the children for no reason at all. That's why the dad has to be such a pansy. Yes, and I want to use another word, but I mean, it, yeah, yeah, and and I'll, and I'll tell you that uh, certainly when it comes to divorce and separation, I mean, Europe is worse. They are, in fact, they are so much evolved; they're way ahead of us on that. It, it, uh, the dad is automatically pretty much the loser. You got to prove that you're not. Uh, yeah, it's and, it's cultural across the board, and I blame advertising on and and I just put television entertainment into the advertising category there. All right, let's get into second-class uh, parents. You have a child with him? Yes. That's not your child. That's both okay, of your child. child. No, no, just a second. That child is both of yours. So either you take the child or he takes the child. He's the father no less than you're the mother. Because so, then he told me he was going to take Lila with him at 1.30 in the morning. I oh, just told- a second. Just a second. So he said, if I'm going to leave my house, if you're telling me to leave the house, yeah. I'm going to take my daughter with me. Even though I have sole legal custody of her? No, you don't. Yes, no, I do. No, no, no. At that point, are you telling me you had a court order giving you legal custody of your child? The answer is no. No. So at that point, you know, mother, he's the father. He has as much right to take that child as you do. That's not what I've been told, but... Well, if you've gotten different advice, you were mistaken. Okay. In this country, fathers are not second-class citizens. I know there are a lot of people out there, including judges and probation officers, who still don't get that message, but fathers are not second-class citizens. Sometimes they're actually better parents. Not always. 
sometimes it's 50-50. But it's on a case-by-case basis. But anybody that says to me, can't take my daughter with him, it's not yours. It's both of yours. You made her together. <laughs> oh, man, there's so much about this. First, that's Judge Judy, right? That's Judge Judy. St. Judge Judy. <laughs> I, well, I got I to gotta tell you a couple things. First of all, the child is always yours when the child has done something shitty. It's like your yes. daughter has done this and that. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. that's universal. And I, I think I would still get that if my my kids were small enough to be in that much trouble. Second, when I was in college for you know all three months uh, in West Virginia, uh, Ty Hamilton was my roommate. And there's there's three things that his because, you know, we all hang out. We're in the same dorm room. Three things we'd watch on television and his, his buddies came over. Uh, and oh, all black. I have to mention that um, football, of course, basketball. Well, so it is sports. Let's put it that way. Uh, Golden Girls and Judge Judy. And I was like, "Wow, you really like this? You really like these shows?" Judge Judy, big favorite amongst the black men. I don't know if that was just that time, <laughs> but I was like, "Wow, and maybe because she's fair." She she's fair, and that's all we ask for is fair. Even though it doesn't exist, but I mean, she's one of the fair, <laughs> fairest things that, that it can be. Uh, but I, I use this clip to illustrate that the privilege, the privilege the mother felt in this case was well, it's my daughter. She said it. I have sole joint custody. And Judge, you was like, wait a minute. Have you went to uh, before a judge and got that in right? No. Yeah. But I have sole joint custody. Wow. And so... Cultural misunderstanding, huh? You take that mindset and then you multiply it by a group of people that haven't got the most fair shakes with the uh, justice system. Right. And now you see um, a lot of... I know a lot of people that have been through family court and your best case scenario, best case is that you pay a chunk of your salary out, and we're going to discuss how that's calculated a little later on, uh, and you get two days out of every 14. Yeah, that seems so, pretty standard, yeah. So to go back, the woman's like, engage. Engage with your child. How can I engage when you, you know, no, uh, marginalize me? Uh to being a 14, you know, one, two or two days out of every 14 day parent. Hmm. Uh, and you use uh, the court system, family court system as a weapon. Now I am not a white supremacy denier. And the reason why I say I'm not is this is a clear case that appears to be white supremacy. Oh, do explain. Now we go back to man in the house law, correct? Mm-hmm. No man in the house law. This has been the tool to further, and I used this word before, marginalize dads in general. But when you have dads that fall below the poverty line that can't hire good lawyers to fight for their rights in court, black and brown men don't get a fair shot or a just shot in family court well so what but when you say white supremacy you imply that there may be a misunderstanding but you imply that there is a systematic uh, plot 
to disenfranchise black men. And I personally think it's uh, poor men, and it may have come from black men, but you think that that is still alive and well today and it's being done specifically for someone's color? Someone's color. Okay. If I want to, and, and the thing is, here's the thing I think about white supremacy. I think it's about maintaining rulership. And this is about elite. It doesn't have to do with every white person. And that's, that's the thing. All our conversation has been about the elite. The conversation about between the two men of how to handle the black race were between the elite. Okay, I got you. I'm with you. So that's when I, it's not. That's why you have to be very careful with those words, white supremacy, because it's about people that's in rulership, maintaining rulership. And what is the predominant race of people in rulership? White. That's my point. I'm not saying it's amongst all white well, people. Well, let, let me let me let me let me approach it from a different direction, just so we can get okay. some context. Um, okay. And thank you for uh, for going into that. Mm-hmm. I would say if you look at the black population as a voting block to be controlled, uh, or black women as a force that you want to control, uh, then yes, uh, I think that is absolutely in play and it's we see it in play today with the the current uh people who are running for uh the democratic nominee and uh, and others i mean it's it's all over the spectrum from that regard then i would say yeah Uh, everything is being done to control the black population to maintain their voting block at status quo right and i want to be clear what i'm saying here the motive is to maintain um, rulership. Yes. So we have to do these things to maintain it. It's not like it's a racial cabal of like I'm saying of all spectrums of economic background. Now it's like, oh, we might have some friendly fire and some casualties of white men fall to a uh, family court, but so be it. I think that's how the elite think. That's just my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I guess the, so, the only reason I'm saying is I know plenty of white families and white guys who have been in similar situations. Poverty was really was really the issue. That's why I'm like, okay, why would someone... If you're just saying, okay, here are the blocks. Here's black people. Here's poor black people. Here's poor white people. Here's uh, mm-hmm. women. Here's men. And from an elite standard up at the top, I'm looking at you, George Soros. I would want to control all those people one way or the other, no matter what it takes. And, you know, I got a funny and this, this is just my no, uh, viewpoint and uh, opinion. This is a, this is a opinion. I think the elite look at poor white people and say, hey, you had all the benefits and you can't make it work. Hmm. You don't deserve to You don't deserve to live. And we've seen this, how they look the eugenics. Eugenics wasn't across color lines. No. It was uh, no. so like I said, if it you may have some uh casualties of 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 the same race, but I think that they look at it as as a uh whittling or you know uh uh as a you know way to get rid of the bottom in their own race. And that we got kind of getting off topic, but I just want to show you that 
when people they, they use that word so loosely that now it just has no effect. But those two gentlemen having that conversation in the clip we played before, even though it's in a uh, fictional movie, mm-hmm. that is a form of supremacy. No, that was 100% supremacy. And so, so uh, yes, and I will. Hmm. You, you, you threw in the white supremacy. You threw me off a little bit um, because I, I, I know, I know, I know, I know. But I, un- I, I understand what you're saying, and it has only been about 50 years since eugenics was alive and well and, uh, and recognized as such and was specifically targeted at uh, Africans. That's, that's even how they spoke about it. The dumb Africans running around. We got to control them. So uh, to think that that legacy went away in 50 years would be stupid. So, uh, yeah. But, I'm, not I'm sh- only, but, hold on, but not only Africans, because poor whites in the South were judged by the same. I mean, they set the... the, the uh, yeah, I'm just talking about what uh, I've read IQ, of Martin. I'm saying they set the IQ to say this is the line. Yeah, correct. Now, whoever correct. falls under it, you know, we'll set the testing methods. And if some of our people, you know, it's for the greater good. And I, I, like I said, I don't want to segue off into that, but I'm just telling you, to me, if you want to use that word, uh, not, the, in the terms that, yeah. not in the terms that we think of it in pop culture. I, got, this, I got you. If you want to talk about white supremacy, that's your, that's your shining example. Yes, that's, that's the point I was making. Okay. Not in, and I, that, this is one of the cases where words have changed uh, definitions, like racist or... Yeah, uh, it almost means nothing word. anymore. Yeah, right. it's... it's it's, so it's, I want to make sure that this is this will be the picture and the definition if you want to define something in that way. I'm with you. But let's just get let's get back on track um, and see this privilege and uh, an action and joint custody gone wrong. This is a little bit of a long clip, but it's important. Y'all can hate each other's guts, but y'all better act nice and lovey dovey and everything else when you're around that little boy. I better not hear either of you saying anything negative about the other party or y'all will get a little trip to the dark county bed and breakfast for contempt of court. And there is no appeal. You say it if I say you get out. I'm talking about that. Am I clear? Yes. I have no doubt that you have withheld that little boy from me. Don't you be looking at me. You say one more word, you, you say one more word, you're gonna go to the Durham County bed breakfast today. You say one more word. Alright, that you know she's got 24 hours of contempt of court to run her back as soon as we get done with the sack. Don't she leave this court with your test? She's got 24 hours of contempt of court to run her back, not over the shed. So you got 24 hours of the Durham County bed breakfast right there, because you Ran your mouth and I told you to decline. I never. All right, you got 48 hours. You were saying that you got 48 hours out of that. Yeah, you're hard. You got 48 hours back. Every time you open your mouth, I'm going to tap on another 24. And if you open your mouth, I'm going to do the same thing. Both parents are fit and proper persons to have custody of the amount of child. I'm going to custody. Just take me I can't do this. This is a 
that was hard to listen to. <laughs> My God. I, I'm sorry. I, I, wanted, I, I wanted to set that up a little better. So just to give people what was going on there, you have two, a, a wife and a husband going through joint custody uh, hearing. And this is in my hometown of uh, Durham, North Carolina. It was funny that I felt this because I was like, wow. Uh, and you see, she had no respect for the judge. And he told her, you have any contempt? And just to give a little background, he was like, you got any, uh, if any of you guys say anything, you know, I'm going to find you contempt. You're going to do 24 hours and you're saying in jail. And the, the gentleman's like, the lawyer for the guy said yes. And he said yes. And then like the female's lawyer said you know, tell her to say yes. And she was like, eh. like, yeah. And soon as, you know, she was losing control of the, the apparatus that was set up for her to have power and control over the family and the man, you saw her go ape shit. Yeah. Excuse the language. Yeah. Even though she was going to go to jail and soon as that judge said joint custody. Yeah. She that's went when she lost it. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So you it's a, it's a, why, it's a, privileged possessive thing it's it's a privilege yep it's a privilege and nine times out of ten the rulings come out in their favor but i think judges are getting more aware and also um the child support system is becoming more aware because our recalculations are being done so let's get into changes uh to the illinois child support Child support would be based upon a percentage of that parent's net income. And depending upon how many children support was being paid for, the percentage would go up. For example, it would be 20% of that parent's net income for one child, 28% for two children, 32% for three children, 40% for four children, and on up. And it did not take into consideration the income that the custodial parent made. Illinois was in the minority, and I have not checked to see for sure how many states have gone to income share, but I think 40 of the 50, somewhere in that area, use an income share model, which is what Illinois now is using since July 1st of this year. Under that system, child support is calculated looking at the income, the net income of both parents, and there's a chart that is used to determine what a child should receive by way of support from parent A making X number of dollars and parent B making X number of dollars. And then you determine what that joint support obligation should be. And then that obligation is divided between the parents based upon their relative income. So if you've got a parent that makes 40% of their total net income and the other parent making 60% of their total net income, that support obligation would be paid by 40% by one parent, 60% by the other. And it is felt to be fairer because it's based upon both parents' incomes as opposed to just the non-custodial parents. Yeah, such a head-scratcher that that wasn't already the case. And also, later in the clip, how much the child spends with each parent mm-hmm. factors into it as well, mm-hmm. but that it just wasn't clippable, clippable to include that, you are know, saying, a little caveat. So now you see, when you have joint custody means equal burden equal yeah equal burden so there's no monetary benefit you have no control of the child time wise um and we've seen this in 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 my community the black community that child support has been used as a weapon Weapon. against the black man oh yeah oh yeah 
So uh, this is a popular YouTuber, uh, Danica Marie, and she discusses that point. Look, child support should not be used as a weapon. Child support is exactly that. Money that is utilized to support the child. Not money that is held over somebody's head that doesn't want to be with you anymore. Not money that is used to hold somebody hostage in a dead-end relationship. Not money that is being taken away from somebody that is already financially and physically contributing to their child's life. So please, can we grow the hell up and stop using our children as pawns and child support as some sort of insurance policy, scare tactic, and financial weapon? If I may, from personal experience, when I got divorced, Mm -hmm. uh, our daughter was uh, 18, but she was still living at home. The system that jumped into play with my ex-wife was immediately, he's going to pay for everything. We're going to clean him out. Ha! And all of that was, and it was the lawyer. Lawyers were, were all over that, pushing, pushing, pushing. And actually made the whole process much worse than it ever had to be. That's case in point. Uh, But as she said, when you have a scorned woman uh, and she's been she's made aware of what her rights and privileges are. Or uh, she has she has perceives what her rights and privileges are. Right. She can use that as leverage. Against the man. Yes. They use the child as leverage against the man. And we've seen that in recent news story with a popular basketball player named DeMarcus Cousins. Now, he makes more than enough money. So money is not an issue to him to pay child support. But visitation is also a part of this. And the child being withheld. So let's look at uh, former Warrior Center DeMarcus Cousins. Former Dub star DeMarcus Cousins in a bit of hot water tonight. That's right. He's accused of threatening to shoot the mother of his child. Our Elizabeth Cook in the newsroom. She has the latest for us, Liz. Yeah, Ken and Veronica, the NBA is investigating these allegations against uh, against DeMarcus Cousins. The all-star Lakers center is accused of threatening his ex-girlfriend during an argument about whether his son should attend his wedding. And the ex-girlfriend says she has the audio to prove it. Cause- no, he's not coming. Now, Cousins allegedly made the threats over the phone on Friday, one day before his wedding. Now, according to court documents obtained by ESPN, Cousins' ex-girlfriend is seeking a restraining order against him. In addition to the threats made in the leaked audio, she alleges that Cousins had previously choked her. So I'm not defending DeMarcus Cousins or his actions or anything. I'm trying to use this as an educational point here. Now, a background on DeMarcus Cousins. He has had two dramatic injuries back-to-back years that has been impacted his earning capability. He was set to sign some god ungodly amount of money, maybe 150 to $200 million contract, right? Mm-hmm. But before he signs it, he blows out his Achilles. Yeah. He, he fights through that. 
He comes back the next year. He signs a small, little small deal. Then he blows out his ACL. Just to put you in the mental state of what a person is going through. Right. So then he has, he wants his son to come to his wedding of another woman that he's marrying. And the mother says, no, he can't come. Mm -hmm. Just giving background, because when you hear these stories, you don't get the perspective. Uh, just to give some further black background, not only does DeMarcus' cousin take care of his child, he's a very giving person to other children as well. New at 9 tonight, 100 local children got the shop till they dropped in Mobile today. And it's all thanks to NBA star DeMarcus Cousins. He put on his 7th annual Santa Cuz holiday shopping spree. Tyler Finger is live in the newsroom tonight with uh, Tyler. Great, fantastic day for the children who enjoyed it. Yeah, Steve, these kids from five Mobile elementary schools were given 200 bucks in Target gift cards so they could shop for the holidays. The ones we talked with say they got a lot of good gifts. <laughs> so I'm just illustrating you got a guy going through uh, life-changing traumatic experiences monetary loss he has a background of being not only giving to his child but other children seven years running he's done this donation thing right yep but a his his mother, his child, is withholding his child from coming to the wedding that he's about to marry another woman. Yeah, that's it's what uh, it's what happens in divorces uh, across the board. And, Children are weaponized in this. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is not defense of Demarcus Cousins, but I am highlighting how the family court system is setting women up to be harmed by men that are put through such mental anguish that they can lose uh, it. that they can lose it you you can go search on youtube google man shoots woman after custody hearing man shoot you know you see it over and over again but it's like the prescription drug thing it's like oh just a crazy man that shot his girlfriend or ex-wife or mother's child yeah. they never get to the root root cause of what it is and I'm saying this to say this to protect women. You're giving them a, a, a perceived privilege or leveraging tool over men. Which is very dangerous um, to do. That's very dangerous to a man, especially a man that loves his kids. Uh, if you're saying, you know, you never see your kids again, you don't know what that does to a man's mental state. And mental health in this country, as we see, can end up in violent acts over and over again but we never look at the trigger and see how we can resolve the trigger from even happening that's why i brought this up not to be a defense of anybody because first of all you should always maintain your cool and i say to men and second of all um when you this you have to expect this like you said going through a divorce you got to expect these things to happen so never lose your cool control what you can control now, fast forwarding to now you may have asked, how did this situation of single parenthood and, and the black community happen? We've looked at one side of it from being pushed down through no man in the house. But there's also a marriage between feminism and civil rights movement. 
Feminism, when, when feminism arose in the 1960s, it was uh, different for women of every kind, because women had never thought of themselves, <laughs> uh, these white women, as a particularly disadvantaged group. Uh, as far as black women were concerned, the overlap between the women's movement and the, Afri and the, and the civil rights movement caused some confusion. Uh, black people were trying to get their arms around what it meant to bring change in this country. And here come a large group, a much larger group, who are not necessarily black, in fact were white, uh, who are trying to do the same thing. And it really took some leadership on the part of some black women, and they ought to be uh, understood, who understood they were both black and women. It took that kind of leadership to, to engage this community, this confusion, to understand this confusion, mm -hmm. to, to deal with this confusion within the community. Uh, you know, when, when a... Uh, straight-out civil rights activist and a leader of the women's movement like Gloria Steinem, this gorgeous white woman, you know, comes forward and talks about feminism, uh, she's, she is still the very best. But it is very hard for black women to identify with her initially. I have to disclaim here, I've met uh, Eleanor Holmes, uh, mm -hmm. the uh, non-voting representative from the District of Columbia. Uh, I've mm -hmm. observed her. I find her to be an incredibly dishonest, full of shit person. But that has, that has, <laughs> has no bearing on what she said here. Uh, but I'm no fan of Eleanor Holmes. So, yes, that's uh, Representative Eleanor Holmes Norton. And she's speaking on how the civil rights movement was hijacked, basically. And you heard her, her used um, by the feminist movement. And you heard her use the word confusion. Mm -hmm. Confusion. And that was steered by one and only Gloria Steinem. Adam, what can you tell us about Gloria Steinem? First of all, my mom loved her. which is, So to have this coming up right now is, is doing as, all kinds of stuff to my brain. <laughs> as, as did my mom. Yeah. Uh, as did my mom. The reason why I say that, my mom, and we, I came from a very weird background, not to interrupt you, but just to uh, co-sign what you're saying. My mom was a bra-burning, uh, not uh, feminist of that time. Mm -hmm. uh, she she fell into the um, propaganda that was being put forward. But continue with, with your your point. Well, I'm just trying to think back because, you know, when I think of Steinem, I think of, uh, you know, Jane Fonda. Now, I was pretty young, uh, but I just remember, I mean, I, I've, she doesn't, I'm not getting much trying to recall other than my mom was totally into her. I could feel the tension around that, but... Um, mm -hmm. No, I, I don't have much. I of course know who she who she who she is, right. what she represented, but I don't have any. So other she feelings. was she was a big time uh, proponent for phys feminism at the time, of course, and also she empowered Alice Walker. For the people that know who know, don't know who Alice Walker is, she's most famous for writing the book The Color Purple. Ah, oh, of course, of course, of course. 
her writing is activism, and her activism is writing. So the, it, it's there's really as 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 it's not possible to separate Alice from her work. She's of, of anybody I can know, or I've ever known, or could possibly imagine. She's the most true. You know, she. I mean, when people used to ask me in the early days, "What is Alice Walker really like?" I always said. She's exactly like you think. You know, there is not a private self and a public self. Now, the reason why I said my mom loved uh, Gloria Steinem is because Alice Walker gave her her cosign mm-hmm. to the black community. Or you can look at it another way. Gloria Steinem empowered Alice Walker to become the person she was on the level that she was into, you know, in uh, in the public eye. So, as I said before, Alice Walker, she's most famous for writing Color Purple. When I first saw Color Purple as a as a young, you know, uh, child, I mean, to be honest with you, that movie was shown to young children because it was one of the preeminent black movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, just from the storytelling, it was done by Steven Spielberg, and you know, it you had never seen a black movie done on that level. I think it was really cutting edge at that time, just with the cinematography and you know, just of what it was. No, it was a great movie, of course. But, but when I go back and watch it with my adult eyes, it was very man hating. And I know that term is thrown around by the MGTOW uh, community and these things and that anti-feminist community. But the reason why I say that is there is not a single positive black male figure in that movie. Right. At all. Either they were child abusers pedophiles (laughs) incestuous Oh, the top ten. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, domestic violence, rape, um, kidnappers. I mean, like, <laughs> exactly. at all. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, and when I watch this movie now with my adult eyes, I'm like, Jesus Christ, it's trauma-based Based, yeah, entertainment. entertainment. Yeah. And I'm talking about women watch this thing on repeatedly. I mean, you know, uh, even to today, you know, they. I mean, you can quote that thing, and in, in my community, you can quote it line for line, and that's how successful propaganda is. Now, with that said, Alice Walker, uh, her daughter came out and did an interview in Daily Mail, and just a couple quotes from um, the interview. She said, you see, my mom taught me that children enslave women. I grew up believing that children are millstones around your neck. And the idea that motherhood can make you blissfully happy is is a complete fairy tale. This is how how joyous. (laughs) joyous. This is how this woman propagandized her own child. Wow. Another quote. My mother's uh, feminist principle colored every aspect of my life. As a little girl, I wasn't even allowed to play with dolls or stuffed toys in case they brought out a maternal instinct. Wow. These are quotes from Alice's Walker's daughter. Hmm. Uh, and like you said, and when you, if you go back to that clip, Gloria Steinem said what? There was only one Alice Walker. So she 
however she was in the media. Yeah, it was the way she was in private. She was that way in private. Another quote from her daughter. It was drummed into me that being a mother, raising children, and running a home were a form of slavery. <laughs> Can you see how this was played out in her work, Color Purple? Oh, yeah. That was given to the world and propagandized my community. And, saying, and still, it still comes on BT, women BT, almost every other Saturday. Wow. Final quote. Wow. My mother uh, may, uh, excuse me, my mother may be revered by women around the world. Goodness knows. Many even have shrines to her. But I honestly believe it's time to puncture the myth and to um, reveal what life was really like growing up as a child of the feminist revolution. Really puts a whole new, uh, puts Oprah in a whole new light in in this project. (laughs) Who has no children. Right. So now we see how these things keep getting pushed forward. And if you ask any uh, a black feminist about Alice Walker, she would have the same way that Gandhi. Mm. You know, it, it doesn't matter. Like we talked about before, these icons. It's not about what they who they truly were. I mean, this is her daughter saying this. This is not some, you know, that's why I always like to use quotes of people that are or or would be seen as fair and balanced. I don't like to use uh, extremist quotes from one side or the other. But now back to Gloria Steinem. Gloria Steinem had a very interesting beginning. Clip 24. Gloria, at the festival, you worked for the Independent Research Service. That's right. Well, exactly when did your own association with the CIA start, (laughs) and in what fashion? Did they come to you, or did you go to them? In 1958, when I came home from, from India, I discussed with student leaders, past and present, uh, many of them active with the National Student Association, uh, this kind of small foundation to encourage Americans to go. They thought it was a good idea, too. I was then told by foundations and professors and friends that it that I should not do this, that I would get in trouble with the House on American Activities Committee, the American Legion, all of those 50s people. Uh, And I became convinced that it was impossible. It was at that point that the student leaders said to me that they had in the past received funds for international programs from the CIA and that they felt that this was important and could also be partly funded by the CIA. And there we go. Hello, spooks. Now, now we know about COINTELPRO. We've seen how uh, think tanks and government agencies had infiltrated movements as before. Why would I not believe Gloria Steinem was sent in to destabilize the movement that was going on called the Civil Rights Movement? Why would I not believe that? Now, like I said, I have a conspiratorial vein in me. But when I hear this and you hear Alice Walker and you hear how she was put up and propped up, why would I not believe this? But let's listen to clip two. Particular points of view to put forward, which would have been much, much more restricting than than, uh, the CIA funds were, which were free. I mean, no one was told what to say. You mean they were free? You mean to say it was easier for you to work for the CIA than a private 
That's right. That's right. And and the the reason I think that comes as a surprise, as it did to me at the time. I mean, I had the conventional liberals' view of the CIA as a right-wing incendiary group, and I was amazed to discover that this was far from the case. That they were enlightened, liberal, nonpartisan. Activists of the sort who characterized the Kennedy administration, for instance. Huh. I I didn't know this actually. This is good. <laughs> so I don't I don't know what to say. I mean, to be honest with you, we have to look and see was this person sent to bring this message to destabilize not only the black community, as I always say on the show. The black community are just the first to feel or to show the symptoms of what affects the greater population later. You know, we don't have that cushion. Right. Uh, so when you see things like drug epidemics or, you know, propaganda being pushed forward, it always hits us first. Uh, whenever recessions happen, they always hit us first. Because we don't have that, you know, the cushion to protect us. But it goes on to impact everybody uh, that's not uh, tied in with the elite. Now, the only problem I have with this, and it's it's only lightly touched on in her on her Wikipedia page, for good reason probably, mm-hmm. is the CIA is really not allowed to do these types of things on U.S. soil. You know, that's really not their jurisdiction. So I'm just curious right. to, and, and I'll I'll have to look into this more to see. And, and go ahead. When I say these things, it's just like I think you make connections with people, with the movers and shakers. I'm not saying it came from headquarters. <laughs> <laughs> no, to I, do I, this. I understand. There's a, lo- a lot of different. You uh, swim in those certain pools. Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, Gloria, yeah, go over here and talk to this person, yeah. you know, do this kind yeah. of thing. I'm not saying headquarters sent down like a memo saying, you know, we ha- we got to take, take them down. I think it doesn't work that way uh, because the paper trail, you don't want to work that way. And to say certain groups are all, as we always say, the elite are a, um, a a group of many different small factions held together by common ideology. So I just want to make that clear. So now we see where, how we got to black women being uh, feminist minded. I think it was uh, an agenda pushed down from think tanks more, you know, uh, well, also we, we see we see the the foundation of this is like a huge slab of cement. Now that you've 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 brought uh, Alice Walker into it, it's like oh okay whoa now now we see it a little broader in perspective. Right, she's the voice. She was the voice, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or the you know the author or how you want to do it. And and like I said, Color Purple was the was the greatest piece of propaganda maybe in acting on black people. Well, let me, I ask, mean, the, let me ask you, Mo, when you saw this for the first time or maybe the second or third time or more recently, what was your feeling? What was your immediate reaction to seeing this movie? What color? I loved it. Mm-hmm. Loved it. I mean, I, you can go to any where a large group of black people are and say a line and someone can finish the line for you. <laughs> That's how openly accepted it was. For I mean, 
it's just that when you start digging back layers and understanding who these people are, who writes these things and what their agendas are, I saw it in a total different light. And I'm like, man, there's not a single positive uh, man in the movie. Right. Not a single one. So, um, ding, ding. uh, Huh? Ding, ding, ding. Right. (laughs) So, fast forward. Now, we come back from the past back to the present. And we have to see it's not only single mothers that are miserable, but all mothers. About a year ago, as I was finishing my research on motherhood, I came across The Feminine Mystique, written by Betty Friedan in 1963. The title of the first chapter is The Problem That Has No Name. As I read through the pages, I felt my heart bursting. I thought to myself, every mom needs to know what's in these pages. It helps give meaning to where moms were back then and where we still are today. Betty Friedan was able to interview these mothers who shared with her that they felt unfulfilled, alone, and ashamed to admit that they felt lost in the midst of motherhood. She called this the problem that has no name. The spread into suburbia with its green lawns and large corner lots was isolating for moms. Their worries over smallpox and polio were replaced by depression and alcoholism. Drug remedies, such as Mother's Little Helper, promised relief from boredom, unhappiness, and anxiety. Sure, we've come a long way since the 1950s, but the feeling of loneliness and lack of fulfillment is still the same today. Mm. So this is Cheryl Ziegler, and she's at a TED Talks, and she shows you motherhood in itself brings on a form of misery, mm. uh, loneliness, and imagine experiencing. And she, Cheryl Ziegler is a happily married woman, and she um, uh, she seems to be um, well off, so she doesn't have the you know the ills of. Uh, financial problems, I wouldn't just by perception. And she's dealing with these things herself. Hmm. So imagine going through that as a single mother. Oh, well, yeah. Well, th- this is societal. <laughs> I mean, this. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, so imagine doing that by yourself. I mean, you have to, you have to be the breadwinner. And like I said, this is where I, I, I you know, I take up for the moms. You know, uh, imagine. These things that you experience having a husband, you know, and uh, having money, imagine going through that by yourself and it's, and m- money is an issue and you're the sole breadwinner. Uh, but let's listen to clip two. 50 years later, the problem that has no name is still with us. It shows itself differently, but it's still the same problem. Today, we have the rabbit hole of social media that shows what all the other mommies are doing better than us. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. uh-huh. um, if we're a working mom, we feel guilty. And if we're a stay-at-home mom, we feel judged. We second-guess and stress over all the parenting decisions that we make. And all too often, we feel like failures and frauds. Wow. 
Yeah. Now imagine that being compounded by being a single mother. Right. If you stay at home, you're uh, what she say. If you go to work, you feel uh, guilty, and if you stay at home, you, feel you know judged. you feel uh, feel judged. And who's judging? It's not men that are sitting around. No, saying, oh, it's, look at it's it. other women, of course. It's uh, yeah. Or or you know, and then she said about social media. Uh, who's doing this judge? Oh look! Oh, oh look at her brownies. You're saying you don't make. I, I never. I've never heard a guy say that to his wife. Oh, look at look at her brownies on her Instagram. Why don't you make brownies like that? You know, this is this. It's 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 very sick that they set these uh, criteria. Um, and where I'm coming from is now. This is going to be a very hot take. I am not for stay at home moms, but I am for a stay at home parent. Mm-hmm. I think at least one parent should be at home. Very unpop- very unpopular stance, uh, Mo, in popular culture. Very unpopular. I know it is, but here I, I didn't put it on a certain gender who needs to stay at home. No, I, the problem what ha- the problem what happened is when you opened up fifty percent of the uh, population into the workforce, that made the worker less valuable. Say that again. When you opened up 50% of the population into the workforce that made the workforce, the worker more uh, less valuable. Oh, well, nobody looks at it from the angle. Right. And I, and I, I I would be remiss not to say that, um, single parent dads also have issues. They're different. And in fact, maybe (laughs) in some cases, uh, a single parent dad is viewed as heroic. Oh my God, look at how great he is. And it will always be judged to the positive. Right. Let me flesh out what I'm saying because I know a lot of people who got whiplash and what he said, like, what are you talking about? What I'm saying is workers should be paid enough where a single income can run a household. Oh, well, that would be nice. Yes, it's, it seems very difficult. But if you look at the numbers from the time where women uh, gain the right to work, what has happened to the income? Oh, it's it's the same as 30 years ago. Right. So all they did was take the same salary and split it between two people. That's right. So that's what I'm saying. Now, if the dad wants to stay at home, the mom wants to go to work. Or if you want to be a single parent, you can make enough to run your household by yourself. So that this is where I'm coming to in this whole thing is this didn't benefit women going to work, didn't benefit the family, didn't benefit the woman. It benefited the people that make decisions on the highest level. You increased your work population by double so that you could pay them half. If you don't agree with me, Jessica Short Tall. She says how Americans, how America fails new parents. Just put the term working mother into any Google image search engine, stock photo site. They're all over the Internet. They're topping blog posts and news pieces. And I've become kind of obsessed with them and the lie that they tell us and the comfort that they give us. That when it comes to new working motherhood in America, everything's fine. But it's not fine. As a country, we are sending millions of women back to work 
every year incredibly and kind of horrifically soon after they give birth. That's a moral problem, but today I'm also going to tell you why it's an economic problem. Okay, well, yeah, there's there's a lot going on with uh, with young parents today. I mean, t- right. and, and the main thing is they're having dogs instead of children. Do you blame them? No. And <laughs> now we've gone no, through no, this, well, this program. I'm starting to think, no, no, I can see the issues. I mean, I'm a little jaded and older. That's why it's good to look at this. And, and I, I, you know, I like to look at why. Why are people accepting the fact that I'd rather have a dog than a baby? And the thing is, you have this. And I'm speaking in generalities here, folks, so don't don't kill me. I think at certain points, humans have a need to give a certain kind of love to something. Mm-hmm. Something need to fill that gap. I mean, we talked about the gap with the sure. father missing. Sure. I think there's also a gap in a family where children are needed. Absolutely. And and what is being stuffed in that gap? Fur babies. <laughs> Dogs. They're people. Right. So, and it's like everybody's agreed. Like, yeah, this is my child. And okay, yeah, this is my child too, because they don't want to be honest and say, we have a gap here. But society makes it so that we need both of our salaries to pay rent. (laughs) No, no, it's true. I mean, the number one complaint is cost. I can't afford a child, which, you know, I always put my caveats like, you know, a lot of very poor people have children and they get by, but you know, it's, so it's, it's in a way it feels a bit elitist when someone says that, uh, it's their own, their own personal choice, of course. Um, but I think the financial struggle is absolutely, when you talk, you're right. When you're looking at what it costs, what cost of living is, and you really need both people in both partners in the household working for the, the general masses, yeah, it, it's of course it's much harder to think about starting a family. And if we look at the listen to the previous clips, everybody wants the lifestyle of what the house, the picket fence, <laughs> two cars, the trip to Orlando. Yes, sir. So, and then you factor in social media, like Cheryl Ziegler says, and if you're not meeting that standard, you feel like a failure. Yeah. See, I don't think our people our age are impacted by social media like that. But new families and people in that range, they succumb to um to the pressures. They feel like failures because they can't have it all. They can't have the vacations. They can't have the house. They can't have the two cars and the baby. So it's like, uh, yeah, which one can we replace? The baby. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, uh, but. Bernie Sanders has a solution. Good evening. Human population growth has more than doubled in the past 50 years. The planet cannot sustain this growth. I realize this is a poisonous topic for politicians, but it's crucial to face. Empowering women and educating everyone on the need to curb population growth seems a reasonable campaign to enact. Would you be courageous enough to discuss this issue and make it a key feature of a plan to address climate catastrophe? Uh, Well, I think the answer is yes. (laughs) And the answer has everything to do with the fact that women in the United States of America, by the way, have a right to control their own bodies and make reproductive decisions. 
and the Mexico City Agreement, which denies American aid to those organizations around the world that are uh, that allow women to have abortions or even get involved uh, in birth control, to me, is totally absurd. So I think especially in poor countries around the world uh, where women do not necessarily want to have large numbers of babies and where they can have the opportunity through birth control to control the number of kids they have, something I very, very strongly uh, support. Now, that's your white privilege right there. That's the white privilege guy. (laughs) I'm putting it all on Bernie. (laughs) That's the other side of the conversation. That would be the other guy. And go back to the conversation between the two gentlemen. That's the other solution. Don't have babies. Depopulation. Yeah. So I I know I got out of order, but I wanted to set that clip up to set the final two clips. So they say, then this is, this is what's sick about it. They put all the pressure, not on corporations to provide, you know, uh, uh, meaningful salaries to people or, you know, or create a social, you know, uh, uh, safety net, you know, to help not even safety net, but certain standards of corporations or whatever to pay people a meaningful salary. The reason why I say that is we all heard the stories. Yeah. Dad was the only one working and he could afford, you know, to pay for the kids to go to college, you know, saying have a retirement pension, and, you know, and still go on vacation. Where is that at now? Oh, no. It's, it's, I mean, what you're getting at, I think, is population control, uh, i.e. Uh, uh, normalization of abortion, uh, mm-hmm. but let's call it choice, uh, is being abused by elites to make sure we keep our worker pool cheap and readily available. Yep. That's the whole point, and it's the same means, but just from two sides of the coin. And it's that conversation between two hobnobbers to say, hey, I, I have a solution. You know, let's just make it r- so rough on them, you know, that they'll be begging, you know, for depopulation. Uh, so that's where we're at. So scared to wrap this up. High America, high America fails parents, uh, too. This working mother, all working mothers, and all of their babies are fine. There's nothing to see here. And anyway, women have made a choice, so none of it's even our problem. I want to break this choice thing down into two parts. The first choice says that women have chosen to work, so that's not true. Today in America, women make up 47% of the workforce. And in 40% of American households, a woman is the sole or primary breadwinner. Our paid work is a part, a huge part, of the engine of this economy, and it is essential for the engines of our families. On a national level, our paid work is not optional. Yeah. So, here, here we are. One hand, depopulation. On the other hand, are you choose to have a child, so suffer. That's a hell of a choice to give a woman. Yes, and we and don't, then once again, I go back to compound that with doing it by yourself. Yeah, and we don't make it much easier by positioning the American. And I'm saying this is all about Americas because that's really only the only thing we I think we can speak to intelligently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then add to that that oh, by the way, that guy he's he's worthless. Just look at him. Look at him on television. He's dumb. He's a goof. He's a goofball. He ain't really going to help you. Yeah. So um. It's, 
I bring all these points up to say we're in a sick place. <laughs> it's just, yeah. <laughs> well, it, the, the the way I read it, the only way we get out of it is actually with the help of women. Women are going to have to realize what's going on. They are, without a doubt, what you've shown here today is a lot of manipulation and control. And although you hear the truth and the real feelings coming through um, at the at the upper conscious level, it's gone. It's it's, uh, it's just like okay, this is what I got to do. Here's here's, and you're right. Social media advertising plays right into all of that. mm Hmm. And and the other thing is that we haven't discussed is when you split a home up, you create twice the need. Yeah. Two electricity bills, two gas bills, two rents or mortgages, two yeah. everything. So it's a sick, it's a sick, sick uh, place we're at. But this final clip. Now, Bernie Sanders and the lady said that we need to control populations. But Miss Jessica Shortall disagrees. She said we need the population to survive. And let's listen to what she says. Choice number two says that women are choosing to have babies. So women alone should bear the consequences of those choices. You know, that's one of those things that when you hear it in passing can sound correct. I mean, I didn't make you have a baby. I certainly wasn't there when that happened. But um, that stance ignores a fundamental truth, which is that our procreation on a national scale is not optional. The babies that women, many of them working women, are having today will one day fill our workforce, protect our shores, make up our tax base. Our procreation on a national scale is not optional. That's correct. But depopulation is the answer. Somebody's lying here. <laughs> so you, you can't have it both ways. And I lean to believe Jessica more than I lean to believe Bernie Sanders and the depopulation crowd. Because we need people. Mm. Well, of course, throughout this entire, uh, what, almost two hours, I've what's you know planned parenthood is just running through my brain you know where do they fit in and we haven't really brought it up we don't have to necessarily but mm-hmm. but the thank you for doing this because the conversation the conversation <laughs> that the nation is having is about and you know of course with Kavanaugh and all this and Trump in general it's all Roe v. Wade and it's all about choice 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 but you never hear the conversation that goes deeper and that looks at what the real effects are or the real necessities or the real need and why is your choice talking to women why is your choice so incredibly important to be looked at from multiple angles instead of just here's what i want here's what i don't want right down to what uh, jessica shortall said there with and of course if we're not making 2.3 uh, average children per couple uh, eventually you have no country left that is of course what happens and i mean we could go on for another hour about what immigration and certainly illegal immigration does to the equation etc cetera, etc cetera. it's thanks mo i don't think i can sleep tonight now <laughs> that's my aim <laughs> <laughs> well a good job my friend i'm looking forward to uh where we're gonna go uh next week with all this I'll, I'll go where the uh, stories take me. Yeah, I know. Well, you are a, you're a great researcher, Mo. This is fantastic. What an enjoyable uh, enjoyable show. For, I I liked it. 
And I'm glad you did. And of course, we disclaim that you know we didn't consult any women for the show, and that's uh, that's on us. Well, we look forward to their feedback. Please. We sure do. Mofax.com is where you can uh, always find the latest episode, where you can also um, send your feedback. And importantly, you can support the program if you enjoyed the past hour and 52 minutes. Uh, what's that worth to you? You know, What else do you spend your money on for two hours? That's how we would like to be rewarded if you're so inclined. Mofax.com. And of course, you know, when I saw this song as the uh, the outro song, I knew, ha! I knew kind of what we were <laughs> going to talk about. And this is a weird one, this song, because uh, the date that's mentioned right off the top is the 3rd of September, which is my birthday, which uh, takes me into a whole nother head spin about this song. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's trippy, right? <laughs> hey, Mo, thank you very much, man. I, this was fantastic. I had a good time. All right, same here, Adam. And as I always tell everybody, pay attention to everything and the truth will reveal itself. That's right. Mo Facts with Adam Curry. This is episode six. We will return uh, most likely next Monday. Again, MoFacts.com is where you can find out all the information and support the show. Until next time, everybody. I'm Adam Curry. For me and Mo Facts, take it easy. It was the 3rd of September That day I'll always remember Yes, I will Cause it was the day That my daddy died I never got a chance to see him Never heard nothing but bad things about him Mama, I'm depending on you Tell me the truth Mama just hung her head and said, son, Papa was a rolling stone. Mama looked up with a tear in eye and said, son, I